Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. And God's word says this to us this morning. Therefore, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. <clears throat> and this is the reading of God's good and perfect word. All God's people say, Amen. Amen. <clears throat> you will recall with me that for the last couple of weeks, I've been seeking to lay out for us, to set before us, uh, my vision for what's next. Remember, this is the name of the sermon series we're in, Next. What's next for Orangeville Baptist Church? And by now, I, th I think we're seeing that at, at the heart of that vision is this word, discipleship, right? Discipleship. Uh, discipleship is, is all of life commitment to Jesus Christ. It's, as we talked about a couple weeks ago, it is striving with all the strength that God gives us to walk worthy of his name, to be fully pleasing to his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Discipleship is imitation of Jesus. Jesus didn't come to earth, take on human flesh, uh, live among people as a servant of all, and suffer and die just so that for a couple hours once a week we would gather like this. That's not the only reason he did what he did, right? That's not all that discipleship is. Jesus wants all of it. Jesus wants all of our lives, all of the time. Amen? That's, that's discipleship. He wants every person in every place doing everything to glorify him. That's what it means to be a disciple, or you can say Christian, is doing everything to glorify God in every place. 
wherever I go, whoever I'm talking to, whenever I'm seeking to, to model and imitate and, 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 and teach and share the good news of Jesus Christ. That's discipleship. That's what we're aiming for. That's what we're talking about here at Orangeville Baptist Church. And you'll remember that that vision of discipleship is very, very closely linked to our mission statement, right? As a church, we have a mission statement. Hopefully by now you, ha- you know it well. Hopefully it's, it's, it's getting into your, your, your thinking. But it's we exist as a Christ-centered community uh, whose aim is to do four things, right? To believe in Christ. What's the next one? To belong to Christ. That's this morning's message. The next one is what? Become like Christ. And then fourthly, to build through Christ. And so last week we explained the belief part, that the first step to to following the Lord Jesus Christ is to put your faith in Him, to recognize your sin, uh, and to place your faith in Him alone. That's the first step in this discipleship pathway here at Orangeville Baptist Church. The next step is is that letter B for belong. And that's what we're talking about this morning, belong. And we're just picking up right where we left off last week. Last week we looked at Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And this morning we're looking at Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. And when we talk about the word belong, uh, what we mean by that is community. Uh, what we mean by that is the importance of being committed to a local body of believers who love the Lord Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures. The Christian life is not meant to be a lonely walk. It's not meant to be a lonely walk. God doesn't save us to be a bunch of hermits who have no contact with each other except to come out of our holes for Christmas and Easter, right? That's not why he saves us. We walk the Christian life with brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to say this morning that this is not optional. It's not optional. In order to walk by faith, in order to walk worthy of the Lord Jesus Christ, in order to be fully pleasing to Him, we need each other. We need the church. You, you can't choose Jesus and say, I love Jesus, and ignore the church. They're a package deal. Belonging to God by faith means belonging to God's people. Before you had faith in Christ, you were without Christ. When you place your faith in Christ, you are in Christ. You're not the only one who's in Christ. All who believe are in Christ. So when you belong to God, you belong to who? Each other. Right? You belong to God's people. And please hear me this morning when I say the word church. Don't translate that in your mind to simply what we're doing right now, because we have a tendency of doing that and and, and thinking that way. So when you hear me say church, don't just simply think of a a group of people who gather together for a couple hours once once a week to sing some songs and face forward and and hear some guy talk for for however long he he talks. Uh, That is one expression of the church. One. That's one expression of the church. But, But going to a service once a week is not even close to belonging. That's not what it means to walk in a community with Christ. It's not even close to the rich meaning of that word church, which we throw around a lot 
it's a rich word, and this morning I'm just kind of excited to unpack some of its significance, and I'm, I'm hoping it opens our eyes to the wonder of it. But biblical community, biblical belonging, is a group of believers with whom we walk through the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we do that looking to God's Word and Christ as our hope and our source and our strength and modeling to us and strengthening us and in walking through the good, the bad, and the ugly together. We need each other. We need people who will press into us and disciple us and challenge us. I need that. You need that. Uh, Professor Donald Whitney, uh, he, he puts it this way. He says, quote, as wonderful and sophisticated as the heart is, it was never made to be just a heart, but a part of the body. The heart has no value to the body outside the body, and the heart itself can't thrive outside the body. As incredible and wonderful as you are, Christian, you were never made just to be an individual Christian, but a part of the body. As every organ and every cell is God-created to be an active member of the human body, so every true Christian is God-created to be an active member of a local body of Christ. That's well said. Uh, and that, that's the heartbeat of what I'm trying to get across this morning. The church is God's plan A. Uh, to, to, to glorify his name, uh, to save a people for himself. If you're serious about your walk with Jesus... You must be serious about the church. And to unpack that, we're looking at Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. This incredible passage of Scripture. Uh, the main point of it is to help us grasp the wonder of the church and belonging to Christ and His family. Uh, the church truly is just this astounding thing. So point number one this morning is this. Uh, and, it, and in your bulletin, there's the sermon outlines if you want to use it or if you'd like to do it your own way, do it your own way. Uh, but point number one is the need to belong. The need to belong you are separated from God. Uh, look at verse 11. It says, Therefore remember, and actually the word there, remember, is a command. We're being commanded to remember. So remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Uh, so right there, I just want us to see uh, the division. That's there, right? There's a division between who? The Jews and the Gentiles. The circumcised and the uncircumcised. These, these two groups. And Gentiles, uh, just in case we're not aware or familiar with what that means, Gentile just means anyone who is not a Jew. Uh, right? That's what a Gentile is. Uh, the, the word is literally ethne, nations. So it means all the nations uh, other than the Jewish people. So there's a great division between these two groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. And to kind of help us think through this division, I think it's helpful to think of it in two ways. There's a social barrier and there's a spiritual barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. So first, the social barrier. And the social barrier comes out in verse 11 when you see that term of derision, the uncircumcised. That's something of a religious slur that the Jewish people would use towards people like me uh, because I'm a Gentile. You're, you're the uncircumcised. We're the circumcised. That's how they would, would think of it. You, you'll recall as, as Jewish people that circumcision was actually a sign from God, right? 
is meant to be a sign from God, a physical sign to the Jewish people of their covenant relationship to him. So to the Jewish people, understandably, circumcision was everything. It was all important and little else mattered. But wrongly, as is often the case, it became a source of pride and a source of separation uh, between Jews and Gentiles. Uh, commentator William Barclay uh, helps us feel the alienation between these two communities and the deep-seated hostility that was there. He says this, quote, The Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles, said the Jews, and this is, this is kind of hard to read, the Gentiles, said the Jews, were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. God, they said, loves only Israel of all the nations that he made. He continues to say, it was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of need for that was simply to be to bring another Gentile into the world. Until the Lord Jesus Christ came, uh, the Gentiles were an object of contempt to the Jews. The barrier between them was absolute. He also writes this, If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl, or vice versa, a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, they would hold a funeral uh, for that, that person, that boy or that girl. Such contact with a Gentile to them was the equivalent of death. That's the social barrier uh, that verse 11 is bringing out to some degree. Uh, a little more about that. When a Jew would return to Israel after being out in the, in, in the Gentile nations, you know the first thing they would do? It's a little bit symbolic, uh, but they would shake their feet. They'd shake the dust off their feet because they don't want the dirty dust from the, the, the ethne, the nations, the Gentiles, polluting the Holy Land, uh, that, that dirt. Also, if, if you were a Gentile in, in the days of the Apostle Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, and, and you desire to worship the one true God, so you wanted to go to the Jewish temple and do that to worship, you would also find a barrier. You would find, in, in particular, a wall. And the historian Josephus writes about this. Uh, he shares it was, a, it was a low wall, maybe three or four feet high, and this wall surrounded the temple, and the wall divided the outer court of the temple, uh, known as the Court of Gentiles, from the inner court. There were a number of gates that were placed in this wall, strategic locations, but by each gate, in two or three different languages, there was a sign posted that said, if you're a Gentile, don't enter, you'll die will kill you. That's, that's the barrier. That's, that's the barrier. Talk about animosity. <laughs> Talk about us versus them mentality, right? That, that's verse 11, the, the, the social barrier that's, that's there. And I just want to pause there for a second and just point out maybe what's incredibly obvious, but I think it's, it's important to say this morning, is not much has changed there's still a lot of division in this world between Jew and Gentile, but also Gentile warring against Gentile, yes? Much division. It's no secret that our world is bitterly divided along almost anything you can think of, <laughs> be it politics, one's ethnicity, or the color of one's skin, one's nationality, or one's culture, one's gender, right? We can't even agree on gender, uh, religion, and much more. You name it, you bring it up, there is division. There is division. There is deep division. In fact, 
there's hatred. There's hatred. There's animosity. We are living in intensely political and polarized times. There is deep contention on every side of us. Everywhere we look, everyone is shouting at each other to be heard. Everything is a lightning rod for division. We don't know how to disagree with people without getting mad and angry and wanting to hurt them, right? This, this, is, this is the world that we are living in. People are using hate to get rid of hate. And we're using violence to get rid of violence. We've gone unhinged. We're unhinged. <clears throat> if you don't like what I'm doing or what I'm saying, instead of just going and talking to me or to you, what do people do? We're going to throw a rock through your window. Right? That's, that's the solution that's out there. If I don't like what you're saying, I'm going to throw a rock through your window. Hatred. Division. Racism. The sin of racism. And racism is exactly that. It's sin. And I want to be clear on something with this too. You know, the Bible doesn't talk about race. The Bible says in Acts chapter 17 that we are all one blood. There is no such thing as race, biblically speaking. We all come from Adam and Eve. There is no race. And the Bible doesn't use the word racism. The Bible describes it as a sin of the heart. It's prejudice and it's hate. It's sin. Racism is sin. To hate someone because they have a different shade of melanin than you is hateful to its core. It is sin. The second greatest commandment in the Word of God is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. So to hate someone because they look different or because, again, they have a different shade of melanin than you do is sinful. It's a violation of the second greatest commandment. So there's lots of hate in our world. Hate towards people with different shades of melanin. Hate uh, in response to racism, using hate to overcome hate. And uh, I just want to say that there's a better way. And the better way is, is, is in our text, and we're going to get to that. But before we get to that, it gets worse. Because there's a social barrier, but then there's also a spiritual barrier, and that comes out in verse 12. In fact, it's because of the spiritual barrier and the division spiritually, I think, that crops into the, the social barrier. But looking at verse 12, we see five different ways that there's a spiritual barrier. So verse 12, he says, remember again. Remember, and you can see the five, right? Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. So there's, there's that alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, there's the second one, strangers to the covenants of promise, there's the third one, having no hope, there's fourth, and without God in this world. There's the spiritual barrier. Just, just kind of go through that with me quickly. Separated from Christ. That word separated should jar us. Right? That should, that should jar us. There's nothing more terrible that can be said about anybody than this. They are separated from Christ. Or without Christ. That's, that's the worst thing I can imagine reading in the Word of God and to be said about anyone that they are without Christ. Conversely, the most wonderful thing that can be said and can be true is that we are in Christ. And this is how the Bible thinks about people and views people. You're either without Christ or you are in Christ. And that's the issue of the day. 
because those determine your eternal realities and destinies, don't they? So separated from Christ, that's a terrible place to be. Then he says, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. A commonwealth is just simply a, a community of citizens. God did this with Israel. We know, he says, Israel, you're my, you're my chosen people. You're my priesthood. You're, you're a holy nation to me. He sets them apart. In Amos chapter 3, verse 2, he says to Israel, you only have I known of all the nations of the earth. Uh, know means to set his love upon in a particular way. That was Israel. God set his love upon the nation of Israel in a very particular way. The third one that's pretty straight forward, strangers to the covenants of promise. God made lots of covenants. When you read through the Old Testament, there's, there's four or five. They're pretty major ones that we should all know, but he made those covenants with Israel, not with us. Now we know theologically that by faith in Christ, we're grafted into those promises, but initially, were they made to us? They're not, are they? They become ours by faith in Christ. The fourth one, having no hope. Again, that's a terrible statement. To have no hope. That's a terrible thing to say. That's a terrible reality. To have no hope. Is there anything worse than that? Without Christ, there is no hope in this life, in this world, or the world to come. And then it caps it off, that fifth one of verse 12, without God. No relationship with Him. No, no fellowship with Him. And as we read that, what you and I need to remember is that's true of every one of us apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Verse 12 is your and my spiritual biography. Scorned, separated, alienated, strangers, hopeless, godless. That is every single one of us, apart from the grace of God. So again, if I can just pause there and make a point of application... If you think about what verse 12 is saying, and really let that, that, that sink into to your heart, do you see how that makes dividing from other people, just because they're a different class, or a different shade of skin, or different politics, or whatever it might be, do you see how that makes it utterly contrary and hateful? Why, why would I say that? There is no place for division or better than you thinking, because verse 12 levels the playing field. This is all of us, apart from God's grace. So, so to look at someone and think that we are better, or to divide or hate or be angry with them, is to totally forget what verse 12 says is true about you, apart from faith in Christ. We all came from the same place. Amen? Amen. That is a verse... That should humble us. If you struggle with pride, that is a verse you need to camp on <laughs> and let it do its work in you and, and humble you. Or I would also just say this, perhaps this morning you are here and the Spirit of God is working in your heart and, and you know you are here and you are, you are still, what's, what verse 12 says about you is still true about you. You're without God. I, I hope that maybe for some of us you're, you're starting to, to realize your position and, and I know this, this, this can be hard to hear but you need to see that before you can belong you need to realize that you don't belong. 
That's what, that's what verse 12 is saying. We, we, we ultimately, in reality, we, we, we don't belong. We, we need to feel that in our heart. We need to understand that in, in our head, that the first step to belonging to Jesus, I know it's counterintuitive, but you need to realize that, that you don't belong. That's verse 12 again. Without, without faith, you're an outsider. You're separated. You're alienated. You're a stranger. You're hopeless. You're godless. It's, it's ugly. It's painful to hear. I know it can be offensive to hear that, but it helps you to understand yourself. It helps you to understand the world. And thank you, praise the Lord, that verse 12 isn't the end of the story. Because the next point is the way to belong. We've heard about the need to belong because we're separated from Him. We need to belong. We want to belong. We long to belong, but we don't because we're separated from Him. Verse 13 and, and through 18 shows us the way to belong, and it's through Jesus Christ. I love verse 13. But now. Don't you love that? But now. Just like last week uh, when we were looking uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, But God... Because verses 1 through 3 described us and our sinfulness, and verse 4 says, but God. Verse 12 kind of nails us spiritually. And then verse 13, praise the Lord, but now. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, right? You were separated. You didn't belong. You were alienated. You were strangers. You were far off. You've been what? You've been brought near. You've been brought near. How, how did that happen? How did Jesus do that? It says, by the blood of Christ. In other words, his, his death on the cross for our sins. Praise God, He did not leave us in that state of spiritual warfare. He did not leave us in that state of hostility and alienation. In His great love and rich mercy, He sent His Son to take us who were far off to bring us near to Him. In fact, to reconcile us in two ways. To reconcile us to one another, that's, that's horizontal, right? And to, uh, to reconcile us vertically to God. So let's, let's look at that. First, Jesus reconciles us to each other. Uh, verses 14 and 15 says about Jesus, for He Himself, that's very emphatic uh, in, in the language, He Himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. And you say, what in the world is that dividing wall of hostility? I think the next part tells us when it says uh, in verse 15, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. I think that's the dividing wall of hostility that Christ broke down. And I, I know that's a mouthful, uh, abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances. Try saying that ten times fast. <laughs> that's a mouthful. What does that mean? Well, the word abolish is an interesting word. It actually means to render uh, inoperable. Uh, and so the idea here is Jesus rendered the law of Moses inoperative by his work on the cross. Remember Romans chapter 10, verse 4, which says, Christ is the end of the what? He is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What separated us from God and each other? Unrighteousness. 
Romans 10.4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And I want to tread carefully here because it could sound like by saying that, that I'm saying that the Old Testament law is useless. It's not useless. It's very valuable. It's still part of the inspired word of God. In fact, in Romans chapter 7, verse 12, the Apostle Paul says about the law of Moses uh, that it is holy and righteous and good. And I often have to check myself when I think about the law of Moses. When I read through Leviticus, do I think that this is holy and good and righteous? Sometimes we've got to check ourselves with that, with that stuff. So by saying in this verse uh, that, that Christ abolished the law, it's not saying we should take those first five books of the Bible and just rip them out and not pay attention to them. What it's saying is that Jesus took the curse uh, from, from us for, for, by, by dying on the cross. He, he satisfied the legal demands of pain and death and disobedience. And the result of that, catch, catch what the result of that is, looking in verse 15, by abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he may create in himself, there's an emphasis on himself, one new man in place of the two making peace. What's the new man? You're looking at it. It's the church. The new man is the church. And it says he made one new man. New doesn't mean like the, the most recent invention or, or the most recent thing, the newest thing. It means fresh. A total, totally new quality to it, or characteristic to it. So, so what, what I understand these, these verses to be saying and reconciling us to one another is that Jesus, by his death, tore down the dividing wall that was ripping Jews and Gentiles apart, and he's made us one new man. He's made us one new church. He's made us a new man that supersedes all others. And what this means, if I can apply it this way, is this, this means that the core of your identity and the core of my identity is not Jew or Gentile. It's not black or white. It's not even male or female, or American or Mexican, or Democrat or Republican. That's not, that's not the core of your identity. It's none of that. The core of your identity is Christ. Amen? It's Christ. He is our peace. He made us one. Do we still have distinctions? Yes. God has, has glorious purpose in two genders. He has a glorious purpose in a multi-ethnicity. Multi he has a glorious purpose in giving people many different shades of melanin. He has a glorious purpose in those things. The, the new man in Christ, the new humanity, this new church does not obliterate distinctions, but it does obliterate division. Amen? A church should be a melting pot of people, people of different ethnicities, different education levels, different age groups, different tax brackets. All of us united in the deepest, most substantial way, Jesus Christ is our peace. He's the end of hostility, the end of animosity. But that's not all Jesus did. He also reconciled Jews and Gentiles to God. That's what it goes on to say in verse 16. That he might reconcile us both to God in one body, through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That's a strong verse. 
Uh, Jesus didn't just merely reconcile us to one another. Uh, that reconciliation is based on, I think, a greater reconciliation, and that's between God and us. Uh, that Jesus, by his death on the cross, defeated sin, defeated Satan. Ephesians 2.4, remember that we were under the wrath of God, all of us, but now by the work of Christ, we are under his love. Remember what Jesus cried out on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So we're talking about belonging, right? Jesus went to the point of not belonging so that you and I can belong. He was forsaken so that you will no longer be forsaken. He endured the wrath of God. So that's all that's left for you is the love of God. That's our Savior. That's our King. That's our peace. That's our everything. The cross, therefore, reconciles both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one body so that both groups now have access in one spirit to the Father. That's just verse 18. For through him we both, this new man, Jew and Gentile, access in one spirit to the Father. This is the great work of our Lord and King, Jesus Christ. The church. The church is his miracle. The church is his new man. This is the wonder of the church, taking Jews and Gentiles, making them one with each other and one with God. God has made people of every distinction that we can come up with and made them one in Christ. We are no longer divided. We now with one mind and heart and tongue give praise to Jesus. We might do that with various different distinctions, but we do that with one heart and one mind and one tongue. We now with, with one mind and heart and tongue have access to the one God through the same Spirit. This is amazing change we are reading about in Ephesians. This is amazing truth. Any talk about reconciliation between Jews and Gentiles seemed impossible, right? I share with you the, the barriers, how much they hated each other. But now, through the blood of Jesus Christ, Jew and Gentile are found on bended knee, looking up and worshiping the one true God with the same tongue, the same heart, the same spirit. That's what Jesus does. He is our peace. I love it. Do you love it? It's amazing truth. And I hope this is your understanding of the church. The church is where all the deep divisions that once held us apart, things like the color of your skin or politics or class or money, these things are swept away. They are washed away in the torrent of the love and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the church. We don't make church a priority because we like the music. We don't make it a priority because it has good children's programs. We don't make it a priority because it feels good. You can find that in a lot of places without having Jesus there. We make church a priority because he is our peace. Because he has reconciled us to one another. He's reconciled us to God. And we have access by the same spirit to that one true God. That's the church. Let me put it this way. There is constant conversation around us about all the division uh, and animosity and hatred 
But the solution to that, to, to overcome this hurt and this divide in our, in our country, in our world, is that we need to start listening to each other. That we need to start trying to understand each other. That we need to work harder at obtaining unity and other solutions. I'm going to say something that maybe it's controversial, maybe it's not, but I, I, I believe this is all my heart and I believe this is what scripture is teaching. I want to say as clearly as I can that you can have all those conversations you want. You can listen as much as you want, but if Christ isn't in it, it's all for nothing. It's for nothing. Uh, preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones said not too long ago, probably 50 years ago or so, uh, it really struck me this week. He says this, <clears throat> to me, one of the great tragedies of the hour, and especially in the realm of the church, is that most of the time seems to be taken up by the leaders in preaching about unity instead of preaching the gospel that alone can produce unity. The time is spent in talking and in conferences endlessly, conferences in which they, quote, explore their difficulties. And he writes, you will never get unity that way. It is the gospel alone that will produce unity. And while there is disagreement about the gospel, it is a waste of breath and energy to be talking about any possible way to unity. Amen? Are we tracking with that? <clears throat> Christ alone can cure. <clears throat> and the reason why is because Christ alone can change your heart. He can remove that deep-seated hostility and anger. It's not enough just to appeal to be friendly and goodwill and kind and listening. That, that, that's, that's not enough. Man's nature doesn't need to be curbed. It needs to be changed. There's only one who can do that. It's Christ. And so we come to Ephesians 2. I know it's hard to read, but he tells us the truth about ourselves. He makes us face ourselves. He makes us see our sinfulness. He also makes us see that that's true of everybody else. None of us belong. We're all the same. We all one under sin. We're one in failure. We're, we're together under the, the, the wrath of God. We need the same grace, the same mercy, the same love, the same Savior. He tells us all that so that we will see and cling to the one hope, the Lord Jesus Christ, that we would be born again, by, by faith in Jesus Christ, reconciled by the blood of Christ. If you want to belong, there is only one thing you must do. Run to Christ. If you want unity, there is one thing you must do. Fly to Christ. He is the solution. I just want to say to you this morning, if you're feeling in your heart this, this longing, this sense to belong, and you feel like an outsider, I want to say to you with all the love I can in my heart, you don't need to remain an outsider. You can belong. Christ has acted in such a way that any who believe in Him can belong and be part of His family. Believe in Christ. You do, you do not need to continue to feel that, that sense of, of, of not belonging. Believe in Christ. He will receive you. He will forgive you. He will reconcile you. Point number three. The implication of belonging. Jesus has brought you home. And we see this from verses 19 through 22. We, we've considered the need to belong. You're separated. We've considered how Christ has worked to, to, to make us so you can belong through his work on the cross. Number three, the implication of belonging. Jesus has brought you home. Notice that verse 19 begins with that phrase, so then. So then. 
So he wants us to think about, on the basis of what he's just written in verses 11 through 18, here's what this means. Here's how we work this out. Since this is true, so then here's what we do. And what Paul does here is he gives us three pretty powerful images of the church. And I'm going to hit this part quick. encourage you to study it deeper in the week. Uh, But there's three vivid images that, that we see here about the church. Number one, we see God's church is God's kingdom. See that in verse 19, right? So then... You are no longer strangers and aliens. Praise the Lord. That's back to verse 12, right? You are no longer that. You are no longer separated. But you are what? Fellow citizens with the saints. Not a single solitary citizen. (laughs) Fellow citizens with the saints. Right? The church. He's talking about the church. The church is God's kingdom. We were strangers and aliens. We did not belong. There were two groups. There were insiders and outsiders. But now, because of Jesus, we are fellow citizens. No more being homeless. Now we have a home. It's God's city. It's God's kingdom. And Christ rules and reigns over this kingdom, over this city. No more second-class citizens. Gone are all the social and class and ethnic distinctions. We are all fellow citizens of Christ. Number two, uh, we see God's family. We see that in the last part of verse 19. Uh, Paul kind of switches analogies from God's kingdom to God's family. Because the end of verse 19, he says, we are members of the what? The household of God. That's family language. We are members of the household of God. So, so the imagery shifts from political to familial. Right? It switches from city to family. It's not just that we're fellow citizens under God's rule. We are now brothers and sisters in Christ. It's an amazing truth. We are not just individuals who gather on Sunday. We are a family connected to one another, a family that belongs to one another, a family following the same Savior, saved by the same grace, walking in the same faith. If you just take a minute to kind of stop and look around you, This is God's family. This is your family. If you by faith are trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where you belong. If you're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. The third image is God's temple. You see that in verses 20 and 21 and 22. Just real quick, there's three things I want to point out about that temple. Notice its foundation. Uh, Verse 20 says, We are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Uh, The apostles and prophets had one mission, to preach Christ and reveal his word. Notice the second thing about this this temple. Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. And if you're wondering what in the world is a cornerstone, a cornerstone was simply the the, the largest, uh, I want to say it this way, it was the largest weight of the building. It was also a guide for the rest of the building. So it was this huge rock that they would place in the corner of the foundation and they had to position it perfectly because all the lines for the rest of the structure, the foundation, had, had to come off of it. So the foundation and the position of all the other stones uh, in the superstructure were determined by that rock, that cornerstone. So what that verse is saying, by saying that Jesus is our, our cornerstone, uh, is that Jesus holds it all together. Uh, it, it's, it's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. You take him away, everything collapses. Everything's built on him, supported by him, determined by him. 
And the last thing to notice about this temple, uh, you find it in verse 21 and 22, is the individual living stones, which is kind of a weird thing to think about, living stones. Uh, but verses 21 and 22 say that, and you can compare that, uh, I believe it's 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, but here we read in verses 21 and 22, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So there's, there's a lot in there. Uh, but what that's saying is, is that we are, there's the foundation. Christ is the cornerstone. Jesus is building this temple. He's building it day by day as people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's adding those stones. And he's saying that you and I are some of those stones. Uh, and for us to fit in that stonework, as he's building this temple for his father to dwell, he needs to take us, kind of like Solomon, if you remember Solomon in 1 Kings 19, I think it is, where he's building his, the temple for the Lord, and now we had to take all the big rocks, and they took them away, and they chipped them, and they did all they, they had to do to shape them and to form them, then they would bring them and put them into place. That's what Christ is doing in your life and in my life. It's painful, isn't it? He's, he's sanctifying, he's chipping away, uh, he's growing us in Christ, he's forming us and fashioning us to what we need to be to fit into his temple so he can build his temple. And notice how it, how it says in verse 22, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. That is a beautiful picture, a breathtaking picture that Jesus is at work through the church to be a place where God dwells by his Spirit. The church is God's home. And he invites us to come home, to be part of that home. So this is the church, Orangeville Baptist Church. This, this is the church, the dwelling place of God, the home of God, where his presence may be known and felt and experienced and taught. Do you see, are you seeing how spectacular the church is? This, this, this amazing plan of God for, for the church is it's not a random collection of individuals who assemble once a week to hear a sermon. The, the church is not a human invention. It's not these four walls. Uh, the church is not about walking in here for an hour and walking out. Uh, you wish it was an hour. <clears throat> walking out a little bit after that and, and saying, well, I went to church. No, we don't go to church. You see? We are the church. Uh, so, so we need to stop thinking in terms of attending church and start thinking in terms of being the church, God's kingdom, God's family, God's temple. What a privilege. Amen? What a privilege. And so thinking of all of that, just, just to wrap it up this way, that last point is how to belong at Orangeville Baptist Church. Because we're talking about belonging and the work that Christ has done. What does that mean? What does that look like at Orangeville Baptist Church? Well, the first one is, is pretty straightforward, and, and I've been saying this all Sunday mor all, all morning, but you need to believe. The first step to belonging at Orangeville Baptist Church or any Bible-centered church is you need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to recognize that you don't belong because of your sin, but because of what Christ has done, you can and you may belong and be part of God's great drama of redemption and building His church and glorifying His name. And once you've placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you belong. And because you belong, you should show up. That's the second point. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, uh, verse 39, 40, and 41, 42, and following, you, you have there uh, 
Peter preaching the gospel, and the people hear it, and they say, what, mo- what must we do to be saved? Uh, and he says, repent and be baptized. Uh, and then, what's verse 42 say? The very first thing they start doing after they believe in Christ is, it says they devoted themselves to fellowship. That's the very first thing you do. When, when the Lord saves you, when you suddenly belong to his family and his kingdom and his temple, what you want to do is you want to show up, you want to gather with, his, with, his, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, right? So the, the next step to belonging here at Orangeville Baptist Church is show up. Show up to, to Sunday services, show up to prayer nights, show up to, to growth groups, uh, picnics, work days. Uh, when you show up, maybe show up a little bit early. Don't come late and leave early. I want to make sure I say that right. Come early and leave late. <laughs> uh, don't, don't show up right at 10 o'clock and leave right at whenever uh, that last stanza of the song is going and then go home and say, you know, I just, I just don't feel very connected there. You know, people do that. You're laughing, but we do that. And what I want to encourage you with is, you know, come a little bit early. Come at 9.45 or, or 9.30. Uh, and maybe hang around a little bit after and, and, and talk and get, get to know others. Be a part as much as you can. The next part is serve somewhere. Don't just show up, but serve. Uh, lots of opportunities to serve. Serve in the nursery, serve as a greeter, uh, serve on the praise team, serve as a deacon, a trustee, Sunday school teacher, a counselor, serve as an usher, uh, serve in your growth group. Serve at Orangeville Day, right? July 11th, serve at that, serve in VBS. Serving, I think, is the fastest way to feel a sense of ownership in your church. I think it's also the best way to get to know people. So serve. Don't wait to be asked. Just look for ways to serve and serve. And remember that serving isn't just programs, serving is people. Right? It's, it's all about the ministry of, of serving each, each other. So don't, don't get discouraged and think, well, I can't really do the nursery, or I can't do that, I can't do that. You can pray for people, you can love people, you can speak to people the truth of God's word. That's a great way to serve. A great way to serve. The fourth one would be to join a growth group. Uh, growth groups are our small groups. Uh, they are a central part of our life together as a church. They are a key component to our strategy to be a church where people belong, to do the one another's, to pray for one another, uh, to love one another, to forgive and be forgiven, a place to belong, to be known and to be loved. That's a rare thing, isn't it? For someone to really know you. That's, that's scary. But for someone to really know you, but then to be loved and accepted in Christ. That's a rich thing. That, that's the aim of, of, of growth groups. A place to be known and loved and encouraged in the Lord. We have six or so groups that meet throughout the week. If you want more information about that, talk to me, talk to Josiah. There's also information on the website. The next thing I would say is become a member. And I know the word membership for some people can be scary. I know for some people it's very off-puttish. Uh, <clears throat> we often have wrong thinking about membership. Sometimes we think membership is just, what, what's the big deal about that? Do I really need to be able to vote on things? We kind of equate membership with voting. Uh, I want to tell you that membership has very little to do with voting. <laughs> uh, that's probably the least thing about it. Uh, membership is a commitment to love. That's what it is. It's a commitment to... It, listen, talk is cheap. It's easy to say, I love you. <laughs> it's, it's easy <laughs> as, as husband and wife the day you're getting married to stand before and say those vows and say, I love you. I'll tell you what, maybe it's easy for the next week or two. It gets hard. <laughs> My wife says, amen. Uh, it's hard. Loving is hard. And we always talk, well, I, I love everybody. That's nice to say. Is that possible? No. 
membership is just a commitment to love one another with the love of Christ. It's, it's, it's saying to each other, I'm committed to these people. I will love them. I will serve them no matter what. I'm going to plant my life right here in this church. I'm going to thank God daily for the gift of this community in my life. Why would you do that? Because of what Christ has done in Ephesians 2. If Ephesians 2 doesn't compel you to commit yourself to a body of believers, I don't know what will. Commit yourself would be the last thing I would say. And this part is crucial. I've mentioned these, these various things you can do, and there's more I could say, but, th- but this part about committing yourself, I can say all those things, but until you determine in your heart to say, because of what Christ has done, that I belong to him and I belong to his people, and that truth compels you to commit yourself to act, everything I just said will never make you belong at Orangeville Baptist Church. Does that make sense? You need to commit yourself. Commit yourself to, to, to all those things that I mentioned. Uh, you're, if, if, if you're not doing those things, you're, just gonna, you're never going to feel that love or know that fellowship with his church. And again, I know it can be scary. I'll be the first one to tell you, Orangeville Baptist Church is not perfect. It is not perfect because I am your pastor. I was going to say Josiah, but I don't want to pick on him that bad. <laughs> it's not perfect because I'm your pastor. Right? This is not a perfect church. We're not looking for perfect people. We're looking for people who are purchased by the bloodshed of the Lord Jesus Christ and committed to serving Him and making His name known locally and globally. To belong, you must make that commitment. Dare to open up and share your life. Dare to share your heart. Take initiative. Take that step. So what's the next step for you? Right? We're talking about the discipleship pathway. Believe, belong, become, build. What's the next step for you? Maybe it's believe. And maybe the Word of God is working on your heart this morning and you want to believe, you want to belong. Then I want to talk with you. Or Josiah wants to talk with you. The people sitting around you want to talk with you. We want to share with you the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. You can belong if you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Today is a day of salvation. So maybe the first step is you need to believe. Maybe the next step is you believe you've never been baptized. And you need to be baptized. Maybe you've been baptized and you've been coming to church for a few years, but you're not going to growth group. The next step is belong to a growth group. Maybe you're going to growth group, but you're not a member of Orangeville Baptist Church yet. You know what the next step is? Become a member of Orangeville Baptist Church. See, there's lots of steps. Uh, that we can take. And we as a church want to keep pushing you farther and deeper, not away, (laughs) but in in your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe you've been coming and you've been a bench warmer and it's time to be a servant. It's time to get active, time to get committed. Uh, Any of those things are on your mind, on your heart. I would love to talk with you about those things. There's also uh, within uh, the chairs in front of you, there's these orange cards. Uh, These orange cards talk about ministry opportunities for you, ways you can get involved here at Orangeville Baptist Church. There's also a part on the back there about how can we serve you, what are some needs that you have, what are some prayer requests that you have. But if you're sitting there thinking about what's your next step and you're kind of lost on that, want to think about that, please fill that out and give that to me. Or give it to uh, Josiah or or give it to someone who looks important. (laughs) Uh, And we want to help you uh, belong here at Orangeville Baptist Church. And speaking about next steps, uh, this morning is kind of an exciting morning, because uh, this morning, did Karen make it? Is Karen Cook here? No. So this morning we have two ladies who are going to share their testimonies. 
because they want to belong in Orangeville Baptist Church through membership. Uh, so we have Christine Temple, we have Rebecca Abbott. I'm just going to invite you guys to come up. Uh, they're going to share their testimonies. Then we're going to vote on them uh, and give them the right hand of fellowship. <clears throat> Do we have a microphone for them, other than this? Because this is just for the audio, for the live streaming, right? Yeah, you can put that on. You just put it right here. Rebecca, where did you put it? There you go. I bet too. That's good. Yeah, it's two separate ones. Oh. For online friends on the... Okay. Good morning. I'm Christine Temple, and I am requesting to become a member of this church family. When I was 13, I accepted Christ as my Savior after watching the Ten Commandments on TV. I believe Jesus was born, crucified for our sins, and rose three days later. I believe God worked in my life in ways I didn't understand at the time. I believed God, oh, I'm sorry. I was not raised in a Christian home, but I was brought up in a home with alcohol abuse and domestic violence. I remember praying on those nights that things would change, but they didn't. I love my parents, and they loved me, but looking back, I saw what can happen in people's life without Christ leading them. As I grew up, I indulged in drinking, smoking, partying, looking to fit in somewhere to belong. As I grew up, I learned more about God and Jesus. When I was 19, I had two girls. Even then, I fought the tug of the Holy Spirit. I thought that if I just believed, occasionally read the Bible, occasionally went to church, I was doing well. My marriage ended after five years. I continued to run my life without God in control and without accountability. A single mother this time, looking for direction, counting only on myself. I was just existing. I was just getting by. Psalm 118.8 says, It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. I had not yet figured that out. I remarried and watched my children go, grow leave home and marry themselves. But 10 years ago, I saw God at work. My daughter's marriage was ending. She was damaged and her spirit was broken. She turned to God and he started to change her, heal her broken spirit and shower her with his strength and love. All I knew is I needed him in my life. I needed to change my way of thinking. In 2006, I became a member and was baptized in the Atsego Baptist Church. Three or four years ago, we moved here to Shelbyville. I continued to struggle with commitment and surrendering to God. I was not faithful with attending church. I found myself once again in the driver's seat. Now at 62, with big biblical counseling and reading the Bible, scripture hit me and it hit me hard. Ephesians 4, 1 through 7, and I read this passage four times before my eyes were open. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. 
be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love, make any eff every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Christ, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. I am still learning and growing, and I continue to struggle with the put on and put off on principles as written in Ephesians 4:22 through 24. God continues to work in my life every day. I now truly enjoy my one-on-one -on -one relationship with my father. I know one thing is for sure, I am a sinner who's destined to burn in hell. But because of God's love for me and his gift of grace, I will live eternity in heaven. Thank you. No way as organized as she is. No way. <laughs> but uh, we're about the same age when we got saved. For me, uh, my parents were getting a divorce. I had grown up in a church. I had been in the plays. I was a sheep as I was real little. I, you know, all the stuff. Uh, my grandfather was a deacon. I was always there every Sunday until my parents got a divorce. And then I hitched a ride with friends of mine that were going. Um, it was a ways down the road, but uh, I went with them. I was about 11, I think, and I had never in the Methodist Church heard of being saved. Didn't know anything about it. And my 12th birthday, I had a sleepover in this huge tent that my dad had. I had a bunch of girls out there, and one of them was my friend Kathy and her sister Jenny. And I said to them, I said, you know, they were talking today, it was Bible school, about being saved. And the song, The Old Rugged Cross, I can't even say the name still without crying, but it struck such a chord in me that I knew I had to find out about it. And I asked Kathy, and she led me to the Lord that night. And I had such a warmth that came over me that, and through me, never had I expected that. I went on, my parents did divorce. We moved over to the side of the state, um, continued on. I never found a church of my own. Um, my first husband had passed, and we never really went to church then. Uh, with my second husband, we lived over on Graham Road, and I joined Lighthouse Baptist. My kids went to school there. And as a mother, you guys know what I mean. When your child is saved and baptized, it's such 
wonderful feeling. Then I saw my grandson get saved and diced. My husband now, uh, we shopped around. I, I can't get him to come to church is one of my prayers. But there, I go to another church. I come back here, go back and forth. I found a home here. And that is why I want the membership here. And I want my grandson to be here. And all my granddaughters, too. I just can get him up and here. <laughs> so thank you very much. Can we um, sing? Okay, I'm waiting. We gotta vote. Oh. We have to vote first? We do have to vote. Oh man, I'm just, I'm eager. <laughs> uh, yes, Orange Baptist Church, you've heard the testimonies. We just need a motion to accept. By the way, th if, if you're not sure, th this is Rebecca and this is Chris over here, in case you weren't sure which, which one was which. <laughs> uh, but uh, the deacons and I have met with, met with them, Pastor Dan met with both of them for quite a while. Uh, we actually have another one, Karen Cook, who wants to do this, but she wasn't feeling well today. But anyways, Orangeville Baptist Church, uh, we just need a motion from someone to receive them into membership. I saw Arden's hand go up. Is there a second? Len has a second. Is, is Chad getting this? All right. Uh, so, so yeah, all those in favor say amen. 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 They, are, they are members. You are in. And what we're going to do, we're going to break all COVID guidelines. Amen. We're going to do... <laughs> We're going to do the, the right hand of fellowship. Or I asked them before if they're, if they're agreeable to this. They said yes. They actually said they prefer hugs. Uh, but if you're not comfortable coming up here and doing that, we understand. Stay where you are. We're going to stay in here. We're going to sing a song together. And we'll just, just start lining up over here. And, we'll, and I'm going to ask you guys to go down there. Uh, and we'll just go by and give you the right hand of fellowship. We'll sing a song together as we're doing that. And then when you're done shaking their hand, you can sit back down or go outside. Okay? Sound like a plan? Or chaos? All right, so go for it, Josiah.